Hi there. Welcome back to the Out of the Cave podcast with Lisa Schlossberg. I'm your host, Lisa Schlossberg, a licensed social worker, certified health coach, personal trainer, and yoga instructor. If you, like I have, struggle with your relationship with food, eating, and body image, I am here with this podcast to guide you into healing the relationship you have with yourself through a trauma-informed, holistic, and mind-body-soul approach. Together, we can support you in building a lifestyle of more peace, freedom, safety, and power. Thank you for being here, as always. I hope you know I love and appreciate you. <laughs> Today is today's an interesting day. Today is going to be an interesting episode, I would imagine. <laughs> this is unplanned, completely, totally unorganized, and probably more like an audio diary entry. I'm not sure. We'll see. I will set the scene for you. It is a Sunday morning. It is gloomy and cloudy, and it's raining in San Diego, which it really never does. Um, And I have been going through it personally, Um, and I feel called to share with you where I've been at, because I am more and more, I think as time goes on, seeing myself as a leader, And it's important that I continue to share with you that even though I am a leader, you know, out of the cave, I'm no different at all than any of you. And part of the intention behind sharing where I am is more recently, actually, from a few people, I've gotten comments like, but you always look like you have your shit together and your life seems so great. And (laughs) there's this like illusion that especially because I've lost a lot of weight and kept it off that I am living happily ever after. (laughs) And I, I really feel like it's part of my (laughs) responsibility to shine the light on how not true that is and so there's a few things I want to say that's my intention is I want I just I'm you know how important it is if you're here probably to me to be embodying authenticity and so I do feel like it's part of my job to to do that by sharing with you that there is no such thing as happily ever after definitely not for me because that is the honest truth and so so there's a few things that's that's where I'm coming from okay that's the context in some ways but there's a few things so one is as you can probably already observe if you don't feel like getting emotional (laughs) maybe skip this one for now If you don't want to hear, you know, honest truths and vulnerabilities about where I am, totally skip this one for now. And, and on top of that, I want to also invite you to, if you, if you do want to listen to this, (laughs) I want to invite you to be in, I'll tell you something my therapist said to me once, that is, there's a difference between being there for someone 
and being there with someone. And so I know a lot of the people who are in this community have a tendency like myself to be there for someone. But what I want to do is invite you to listen to this in the energy of being there with me. You're not here for me. I don't need advice. (laughs) I don't need guidance. I don't need anything, actually. And so so just practicing that, that is just just be here with me if you want to come on this journey. That's the invitation. Um, this will probably in some ways maybe be similar to the relapse and recovery episode if you've listened to that. Because again, it's just, I think it's important to tell you my truth as you as we move through the journey of life together. So that's what today's going to be about. So perhaps the place to start is uh, with something that I said to one of my best friends the other day. That is, I've always known what it meant to have high-functioning anxiety. So what that means, if you're not familiar, is... Uh, it's it's basically having the symptoms of anxiety, um, but but also being high functional at the same time. So, what does that mean? Probably the way that some of you perceive me in my life as highly functional. I mean, I would agree with you. Like, I am the CEO and founder of this business. I produce this podcast. I have an incredible group coaching program and a membership and all the things. I live in an amazing apartment in an amazing city. And I have, I work really hard. And so I'm highly functional. (laughs) Uh, But I've also over the last few years, noticed how true it is that I'm not just high functional, (laughs) or highly functional. But a lot of my experience uh, really resonates with high functioning anxiety in that the part that you don't see is there's a lot of anxiety behind the scenes and that in itself can be really uh, challenging and really difficult not just because of anxiety itself but because of how overlooked it is in that you know I think the perception is again we focus on the highly functional part or we see the highly functional part and um so that's that's that and I've I've known that for a while and you know like you've heard on this podcast before uh, a lot of our food and eating and weight and body image issues are not food and weight and body image issues. They are really a manifestation of anxiety. Um, and so, you know, there's kind of a part of me that's like, yeah, duh. <laughs> you know, like I I run anxious. Um, <clears throat> having moved through a lot of the food and eating issues that I've had in the past. Um, and so, so that's part of why I, I want to share that. <laughs> that is, um, wow, I'm having so many thoughts right now. Uh, so that's why I want to share that is because moving through, you know, I feel mostly or relatively quote unquote healed around food and eating. And what that has turned into along the way is just kind of general anxiety, anxiety about life, social anxiety, 
uh, work anxiety, just life like is scary to me a lot of the time. Um, and so, but you'd never know that. Right. So I think it's important to tell you that. Um, but the other thing is what I said to my friend, going back to that, what I said to my friend the other day is I've always known and related to the term high anxiety or high functioning anxiety. Sorry. But more recently, especially over the last couple days, few days, weeks, uh, I have really been resonating much more with high functioning depression. I think that tells me a lot (laughs) about where I am and my truth. And so in some ways, that's what I want to share with you more about today. Because again, I just, I, I want, I want to use this platform and podcast as a way to be a human. (laughs) I'm not here to be perfect. I'm not here to perform. And I definitely do not align with perpetuating the illusion that uh, I am quote unquote perfect in any way. So, um, so that's what I'm here to talk about. And I will tell you that (laughs) because I think humor is also important, right? We can cry, we can laugh. It's all, it's all welcome that the response, (laughs) the response that I got from my friend Christina was why choose when you can have both, (laughs) which it did really make me laugh. And it honestly continues to make me laugh. If you can have high functioning anxiety and depression, why choose? So it's okay to giggle. Um, but that's where I'm coming from today. So I think the first story or whatever that I want to tell you about (laughs) Something that happened. So first of all, this is what I forgot to say in the beginning too. That is, I there's a lot of fear in me to um, share any of this. <laughs> uh, you know, this is one of those things where like I constantly am sh- producing things like these podcast episodes, but the part that you don't see is the uh, sheer terror that I sit in sometimes before and after I record, <laughs> and so. It's important to me to continue being strong and brave and courageous, not fearless. That's something that I talk about and also try my best to live by. And so I say that because uh, there's certainly fear in sharing this with you in general. Um, And there's voices in my head about how you, listener, will judge me. And um, (laughs) I just... I would much rather be honest and authentic and have you judge me than hide. And so that's what I'm doing is I'm kind of walking through this fire to find out that I am fireproof, as Glennon Doyle would say. So thank you for coming with me. And um, that's all. So (laughs) the first story that I want to tell you and the reason that I preface it all with saying I'm afraid you'll judge me for it is because um, I had this really powerful experience when uh, I was doing shrooms recently and I have used shrooms magic mushrooms whatever you want to call them uh, a a handful of times at this point in my life and always with a intentional 
Um, I like to be really, you know, there's, there's a ritual, there's a kind of ceremony. It's always very intentional. It's not, it's not, uh, at least most of the time, quote unquote, for fun. It's really, um, for healing purposes. And boy, boy, oh boy, do they, do they help in the healing process? So this most recent time that I did shrooms, um, it was with Allison, who many of you are familiar with, either from the podcast, the retreat. Uh, Allison is my my dear friend out here, and the way that we've done it is that I do the shrooms, <laughs> and Allison sits and holds space for me. She's kind of a guide in that we'll start off with sharing intentions, journaling, and then she'll lead me through a meditation and and then kind of let the journey begin. And so this most recent time when we were sitting in her apartment together, I was being guided through a meditation and then my eyes closed for a long time, <laughs> for hours, hours. Um, and this has happened a couple times that I've done shrooms where I will close my eyes and it will get really really deep and I will cry and cry and cry for hours um, seeing so my intention for this trip was to see what I need to see and be be shown what I need to be shown and I was <laughs> there were a lot of things that came through and about a lot of different things but I was, I was surprised that, uh, how do I say this? Well, I was, I was really, like I said, my intention was to just really be on the journey. I felt as though I was kind of riding this roller coaster and I was just on the ride. Um, and so I was surprised because a lot of the things that I thought would come up didn't come up. Uh, things like my dad uh, and other things that I had been working through just weren't really present. But a lot of that trip was about my sister, my sister Rebecca, who died when I was five years old. And what is so cool and interesting to me that I've been thinking about the last couple days is years ago, years ago, uh, maybe what is it, 2022, uh, must have been 2017 or so, maybe, 2016, um, I did a session of what's called cellular release therapy with um, a, a, a John Gabriel, or Gabriel Method coach, Paula, Paula Robbins, who is a just earth angel, <laughs> and I'll, um, I'll even link to her below in the show notes just because she's just an absolutely wonderful human being so I was really unfamiliar with cellular release or like any kind of spiritual modality of healing at that time um, but it's something that John Gabriel talked about who obviously I worked with for years and so I was interested in trying it even though I kind of didn't even really necessarily believe in it <laughs> and the way you know the way that I am 
uh, and have done many things in the past. So the way that it kind of works is uh, we did this virtually. And so I was lying in my bed with my eyes closed. And basically, Paula was kind of, I don't know the best way to even describe this, kind of um, prompting me to well, here's, okay, so I'm lying in my bed, right? And the way that it works is like, yes is you lift up your pinky and no is you lift up your thumb. Or maybe it's the other way around, but this is what I remember about it, right? So in order to communicate with Paula, she's basically looking at my pinky or my thumb moving. And I will tell you, again, when I first did this, I was like, this is so fucking dumb. Like how, <laughs> like how is anyone like whatever? I just like didn't get, because the way cellular release therapy works is that it's, it's, um, intended to really speak directly to your subconscious and, and kind of get your conscious brain out of the way. And that anything that was quote unquote speaking directly to my subconscious was something that I didn't really believe in at the time. So I was super skeptical about, you know, all of it, but that's how it worked. And so Paula would, uh, prompt me to at certain points give her a yes or no answer to am I ready to release this and you know the whole time I'm like there's no way that my conscious brain is involved or isn't involved like I must be you know thinking and calculating the right answer or whatever and so there were things that she would say is it safe for me to release this and over a few things it was like yes 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 and then when we talked about or I had given her like a list of things before the session so that she could kind of go through them and so I wasn't I don't think I was speaking I actually don't really remember that part what I remember and what I'm trying to tell you <laughs> is that um at one point we got to Rebecca and I was so stunned when she asked if I was ready to release it and my no finger went up and I wasn't sure if I was consciously doing that if I was like manipulating the process if I was doing it wrong but I just remember being so interested by that and curious about that that I guess on some level, there was a part of me that was not ready <laughs> to release uh, whatever it was that lives in me around Rebecca. And, you know, I am probably, again, like many of you, like I am a go-getter A-plus student. And so I thought the way that that session was going to go was that I was like, I was going to say yes to everything. I was just going to release it all. And... And again, there was just a part of me that was just not ready to to do that with this. And so that was, again, that was years ago. Now, cut to a few months ago where I'm on shrooms and in a meditation and just eyes closed, going deep inward. And I get this visual... <laughs> This is probably the most profound visual uh, that I've ever had in the whole journey of healing. And um, it was it was that there... How do I explain this? 
Well, let me go back a little bit. Just the context of this experience for me was that um, my, the only thing that I wanted more than a cat (laughs) when I was five years old was a little sister. Like, all I wanted. And I was so over the moon about the fact that I was actually going to get that. And, and I was just so excited. Like what I remember a lot about, um, that time in my life was the excitement of she's coming home. And then I had all these fantasies about maybe we were going to like share a room and like have bunk beds. I just like specifically remember thinking that maybe we'd have bunk beds with like, which I thought at the time would be like so cool. And then I had like, you know, our whole life planned together and so many ideas about how cool it would be to be an older sister. I was familiar with being a younger sister, but I couldn't wait to have someone younger than me. And so that's kind of, again, just the context is like, I was the most hype (laughs) about that happening. And then as the story goes, Rebecca was born three months early and her lungs never developed. And so she was in the hospital for five months. And every day of that five month period, which I don't consciously really remember, um... I was told that she was coming home and I didn't know, I didn't know anything really other than that, that everything is fine. She's coming home. Everything is fine. She's coming home. Everything is fine. She's coming home for five months. Five months is a long time for anyone. I think five months is like eternity for a five-year-old. And so I was really excited. And, um, and then all of a sudden one day, the news was not that everything was fine and she was coming home. It was that um, she actually died in the hospital. And what that meant was that I was never going to get to meet her. And so that's how it went (laughs) for me. Um, It felt, well, I don't even know how to describe how it felt, but it was, um, it was really early experience of like the rug being ripped out from under me (laughs) and the way that we coped with that as a family was that we um didn't really cope with it uh as the story goes anyway my I remember my mom telling me once that my dad my dad gave himself about seven days and then jumped back into work doing things being fine which is you know (laughs) where I get that from I wanted to be exactly like my dad I always did my whole life I was the mini me of Dean Schlossberg and um and so I looked at him and I said how are we supposed to do this and that's that's the message I got and Later in life, I mean, I've learned a lot about this time period because, again, I don't really remember it, but um, that's kind of how we did it. I remember, (laughs) you know, the random things you remember. Um, We went hot air balloon 
watching I don't know if that's what it's called we went to go like see hot air balloons or something that year and later years later I remember asking my mom like why did we do that where did we do that I just it was it was like so random to me (laughs) and my mom's response which I thought was very poignant was um that was the year we tried to distract ourselves (laughs) and by the way I say this with the utmost understanding (laughs) that Rebecca's death was so absolutely devastating to both of my parents that we just couldn't go there and so I say that because it's like I don't blame them (laughs) for the way that we got through it it just kind of I think felt like there was no other way and I remember asking my mom later you know why did anyone ever think about like sending me to therapy or like anything (laughs) um And the response to that, which again, there's no judgment around this, but her response to that was, you were five years old. Like, it wasn't on our radar that a five-year-old could go to therapy. Like, it's not, you know, like our generation wasn't raised that way. We just didn't have the awareness that mental health services would apply to a five-year-old. And that's really valid and really fair, but all of this to say my experience was that um I felt like I was kind of going through it alone because everyone else was so distraught by this and so again I just I learned how to not feel things or not admit or express that I was feeling things and if you are you know not new to the podcast you know this is where I started eating and gaining weight because that's how trauma affected me as a five-year-old okay so that's the context now back to shrooms so I'm sitting on the couch and my eyes are closed and I'm on this journey and um a lot of it's about my sister or my sister is plural actually and so I'm I'm shown this visual of someone in a coma and I can't really see the face, but I understand that it's me. It's a part of me. And and the reason or what I what I understood about that intuitively and immediately was that it feels as though and it felt as though, but it still feels this way. That um when Rebecca died, it just took the life out of me it just took life out of me and it feels felt and feels like there is part of me that is in a coma like I can hear things but I can't like there's just nothing left to a part of me not all of me a part of me is still so stuck in um, the pain, the shock, and it's almost like I can't see, I can't speak, I can't engage, I can't participate. Like there is just nothing left, and so I'm, I'm seeing, <laughs> uh, 
this part of me that it exists and also that I have been kind of neglecting it my whole life because my as I've as I've said before I don't know if I've said it on the podcast but my flavor of denial (laughs) this was when Rebecca died it was also the beginning of just denial right like I said like I just didn't want to feel things I was not open to expressing things and um and I think very much like my dad just just kept pretending to be fine and continue being functional and so my version of denial was was not that you know it's not it wasn't that things didn't happen or that things didn't exist like I couldn't deny that Rebecca literally died I knew that but my version of denial was that it didn't affect me or that I was fine maybe it affected me a little bit but but and I've I've learned this over the last couple decades that like since then the way that I framed it for a long time was my parents had a daughter but never I had a sister and so I just I was living in this place of just completely disconnected from it completely dissociated from it um and again not that it happened of course it happened it was a literal event um but it it didn't it wasn't mine um and so over the years it's come to me that uh, I lost her too she was also mine to lose and which is really just validating my own experience and my own feelings so so I say all that because when I have been exposed to this part of me that is in a coma the way that I know that I've been neglecting it is I just don't really admit to myself or acknowledge that that's there Um, I spend a lot of my time and energy or maybe all of my time and energy kind of ignoring that room of the hospital let's say by being really busy and again functional and doing things like (laughs) uh, work and other things building businesses (laughs) or a business so so that was the really really powerful visual that also came with the instructions from I don't know the universe we'll call it that to to treat this part of me the way that I would anyone that I love in a coma and what that means is showing up (laughs) paying a visit regularly and and going and being with this part of me not expecting a response not expecting an answer not expecting her to open her eyes not expect not just complete non-attachment and no expectations but who is the person that I want to be well for a long time I lived as the person that said you know well they're in a coma so what's the point it's not like they can talk to me. It's not like they understand or like, I don't know if they can hear or whatever. I just, it's just very, again, denial and disconnection. What's the point, right? What's the point in feeling that? What's the point in going in there? What's the point? And that's the really cool thing about having this visual about a coma where they can hear, right? That, that's the point. And so 
I wanted to, when I say who is the person that I want to be, it was clear to me that the person that I wanted to be was willing to go in there and spend some time, right? Not be too busy, not have other things on my list, not go, 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 but to spend time and space with this part of me because it would know. It would know if I, if I were there or not, and I haven't been there. And so in the unfolding of that, what, um, so Allison and I did a call a few weeks later as I was like really, you know, processing a lot of it. And, um, I was explaining to her that in order for me to go into the room and be with the part of me that is in a coma, um, I would have to admit that that part even exists and I haven't really done that. I have been trying to just be fine for the last 25 years of my life. And so all of this to say over the last few, I don't know. I mean, it's been an unfolding. It's, it's never like specific events as I mean, it is, but you know what I'm saying? It's gradual. It's a gradual unfolding and evolution of this story and my own connection to myself. But when I was on shrooms that day and I saw this visual, I started taking out my journal and writing words down that I realized in that experience. Um, when this happened and it really took the life out of me. There were some things about that experience that really stuck. And that was the feeling of emptiness, the feeling of hopelessness, feelings of despair, agony, but mostly just, I don't know any other word that better fits it than depression. Just this really heavy, dark um, hopelessness. And I have lived, again, I think my whole life since then, trying to not know that about myself, trying to not share that, and trying to hide that. Trying to hide that by being highly functional. And what I'm trying to tell you is... Not that that's a lie or that that's not true. There is a part of me that is definitely highly functional. Um, but, but it's not the whole truth. Because underneath all of it are, is this, is this. And so as I have been working with my therapist, energy healers, etc., um, and having these conversations and letting myself journal about it and just just there's this complete surrender that's happening with me around you know I see it and I know it's in there and it's not my fault and I don't judge myself for it and all the things it's just it's just what is transformation begins with the radical acceptance of what is and this is what is and it's not something I can control it's also not something that I want to deny anymore it just is and so that's why like I said in the beginning of this episode, what I've been sitting with a lot is the title or label of high-functioning depression 
because it feels really true to me and it, it feels really resonant, you know, and like I've said probably before, it's like when it comes to labels and diagnoses and things like that, you know, it's like if it doesn't, if it doesn't resonate, then forget it. But this is one of those times where like that really resonates for me. And so, you know, we talk about how life is a choice between what hurts and what hurts worse. And for so many years, uh, food and eating and body image and weight was the way that I coped with this. And since then, it's been some other things. Um, but now I'm, I feel as though uh, the scales have tipped where it actually hurts worse to not be present with this. It actually hurts worse to continue functioning at a high level and denying this part of me. And so I've been feeling it and I've been telling the truth about it to myself anyway. And so again, part of the uh, intention of sharing this, and I'm still, I'll be completely transparent with you. I'm still like, I don't even know if we'll release this episode. This might just be again, like a audio diary that I need for myself. Um, But the reason that I intend anyway, maybe to share this with you (laughs) uh, is because I want to tell you also a little bit about what that has been like when we take the blanket off, when we take the capes off, as Glennon Doyle again would say, when we take away the things that have kept us feeling safe and comfortable, what that's actually like. And in many, many ways, it feels like the way I've talked about it here, uh, feels like recovery from an addiction. And without getting into it, I feel since my since my stuff around food, there's been other things. And now I'm, I'm really just taking more blankets away and more capes away and just getting really, again, just honest with myself. And it has been uncomfortable. <laughs> but again, life is a choice between what hurts and what hurts worse. We do the things that numb us or we do the things that help us feel things. We, you know, suffer the pain of addiction or we suffer the pain of recovery But again, the reason that I want to share this with you is because I think sometimes people look at me and say, well, you live in option three where it's all great all the time and you don't struggle. (laughs) And um, I want you to know that that really is not, option three really does not exist, (laughs) unfortunately, and also fortunately. So in In the experience of what I will call recovery, sobriety, abstinence, what I've noticed, I'll tell you about my day yesterday, because I think this is just like the, you know, microcosm of everything (laughs) right now. And I think a lot of people who, A, have moved through recovery from an addiction or uh, have done my group program and have worked on this in terms of their relationship with food. This is the stuff. This is like what it feels like where it's really uncomfortable. It's really uncomfortable. If food and eating is the thing that helped keep you numb and distracted from yourself and or dieting and weight loss uh, has also kept you numb and distracted from yourself taking those things away, you know, these are the things that I hear from some of my group members sometimes. And so that's why I want to, again, share it with you. That is, I'm not different. Yesterday, (laughs) 
I decided that it might be a good idea for me to take a break from some of the things I have been working on and go and not just like run some errands, but like I wanted to get some groceries and uh, I had some clothes to return and I thought maybe I'd go to the mall and I would like go shopping and that would be fun and like feel good. Yeah, (laughs) no, I (laughs) I pulled up. (laughs) Here's what it feels like for me to move through this experience. Um, I get in the car and the GPS takes me like a different route to the mall than I'm used to. And so I'm sitting in the car. And by the way, this is where this is where all the profanity is going to come in. Uh, so if you don't want to hear it, then I'm sorry. So I get in the car and it takes me this like weird way. And I'm like, what the actual fuck? Like why? Then I make a wrong turn because I don't like know where how the streets work over here. There's like a quick turn. I didn't make it. Then I'm driving and driving. It wants me to make a U-turn. I'm like, fuck this. And then I have to get back on the highway. I'm like, oh my God, fuck this. And then like eventually I get to the mall. The whole time I'm like cursing myself, (laughs) cursing this whole experience. This was stupid and I shouldn't have done this. And then I get to the mall. Okay, going to the mall in the middle of the day on a Saturday? Okay, so I get to the parking lot. It's impossible to park. I'm like, what the actual fuck did I think this was a good idea for? (laughs) So I'm like gripping the steering wheel. Like I have no tolerance. I have like no tolerance for any of this shit. So I'm like driving around. All right, okay. I eventually park my car. So I get into the mall. I'm like all the way on the other side that I, you know, that I needed to be. And I'm like, fuck this. So then I go, I make my returns. I'm looking through the clothes. I'm like, all oh, this is stupid and ugly and I don't want anything. So I realized that I'm like a cranky toddler. I'm like, okay, let's get out of here. Let's just, we're not going shopping today. We made the returns. Let's get back in the car. We get back in the car. I'm like, all right, I want some groceries. I was just away for a couple of weeks. I have no food in the house. Let me go grocery shopping. So I pull up to Trader Joe's again. Trader Joe's in the middle of a Saturday. Why did I think that was a good idea? So I get to the parking lot again. Y'all know how Trader Joe's parking lots are. They're just impossible. So I'm losing my mind again, (laughs) trying to park the car. I see people parked like crooked, taking up spaces like you think you're going to find a spot and then you don't because an asshole parked their car like they were fucking blind. And then just All right. So I'm like, eventually again, I park my car, taking a lot of deep breaths. Like I'm noticing that I'm like, unhinged like a a new level of irritable and this is after by the way I noticed when I was in um in the store I was in American Eagle making my returns um and I noticed that the music that was playing felt like nails on a chalkboard so like this is this is like really something that happens it's like it's it, it just feels like it did honestly when I lost a lot of weight and it just feels like my like skin has been like ripped off my body there's just this like new level of like sensitive and vulnerable and so I go into Trader Joe's and I noticed that I was like so thankful that the music it was like this like Christmas music but like instrumental and like jazzy and smooth and I was just like thank god it's not some like dumb shit (laughs) So I'm like going through Trader Joe's again. It's like bumper cars with the fucking carts. Like everyone is just everywhere. If it, and then and then you know it's like Trader Joe's, so they're like super nice. And I'm like, just shut the fuck up and get out of my face. Like I'm just noticing <laughs> that I am in this place where like again, Christina has my bestie from New York has like really helped 
hold it down this week because I'm just sending her like voice memos about like I just want everyone to shut the fuck up and go the fuck away from me and fuck everyone and fuck everything like that's that was the mood so then I get my groceries I go back in my car and I come back home to my apartment and I'm literally I feel like I've like gone out to like war I was like in the battlefield and I like made it back to my little like bunker safely like that's that was the energy of it It was like I was like escaping and coming back into my safe zone and and so I'm sharing this because it was almost insane to me how how low the tolerance was like it felt like I was out in I don't know why just like a video game came to me but like a like a scary video game it was like all the cars were scary and the people were scared. Like there was just like way too much happening and I was completely overstimulated. That's the word. It was just overstimulated. And from a physiological, energetic perspective, it makes all the sense in the world to me that, you know, there was so much coming up and there has been and there is currently, as I'm recording this, so much coming up emotionally and personally and internally that it was like going outside of my apartment, going to somewhere like Trader Joe's and the mall was like, I just don't have the capacity for that right now. Like I just like could not tolerate it. And like I said, I, I sent a voice memo to my friend and I was just like, this is what recovery feels like. It's like, it's I don't want to say a full-time job, but it's like at a certain point, it just feels, it feels kind of like rehab where it's like, you can't like, or I can't, I'll speak for myself. It's like, there's very few things I can like tolerate doing very few people I can tolerate right now. Like, it's just this place of like, there's so much to pay attention to. And so that's part of what I want to share is what I'm so grateful for and was all day yesterday was that I wasn't. I wasn't fighting it. I wasn't judging it. I wasn't trying to be different. And I certainly was not trying to feel better. I was just like, wow, <laughs> this is so hard. And you are such a fucking warrior for getting through it. Like, it sucks. And also, this is uncomfortable. This is not unsafe. It's not unsafe to be in a shitty mood. It's not unsafe to feel depressed. It's not for me right now. It's not unsafe to feel completely unmotivated, completely um, just going through the motions, I would say. And so that's one thing that I feel like is so important is like if you are ever in a place of anxiety, depression, high functioning or not, it doesn't matter but the most important thing is that you are not making it worse by judging yourself and resisting it and beating yourself up for it. And so that that felt so huge to me. It was like, at least I'm on my own team. At least I'm on my own team. And so that's that. But the other thing that I do want to share with you, and this is again, very similar to the recovery and relapse episode, is that I've also noticed my food and eating stuff come up I've also noticed my dieting and weight loss stuff come up. And again, I think the important thing about it, and this is why I want to do this episode and produce this and share this, is because I really don't believe in or align with the story that is 
you'll heal from your disordered eating or your eating disorder or your body image or whatever it is that you'll heal from it and then you'll be free and you'll be done forever. I don't think that that's realistic because again, as someone who I've had so much stability and so much safety in my body around food, around eating, around my weight, around all the things for about a decade now and thank God for that. Like I'm so grateful that I don't struggle with it on a daily basis anymore. But when I'm going through something like this, uh, yeah, it certainly comes back. But here's the difference. And this is what my entire group coaching program is intended to support people with is the difference is that I'm awake out of the cave, if you will. I'm aware of it. I understand it. And I have the tools and the skills and the safety embodiment to translate the language that is disordered eating and body image issues. And what I mean by that is not take them too seriously, not perceive them as the capital T truth or anything like that. It's, it's I am so clear and I know so deeply that when I have thoughts about calories and macros and my body and all of the things that have been coming up, I just know better. It's not that I don't have those thoughts and it's not that they go away. It's just that I'm able to very much like an ongoing meditation say, I see you and I hear you and I know that you're trying to protect me and I know that you're trying to keep me safe because life is a choice between what hurts and what hurts worse, right? So I can either get really distracted, I can use food to numb or I can use weight loss to distract or I can feel what I'm feeling. I can actually stay present with what I'm feeling. And like I said, for me at this point, currently, it feels like the scales have finally tipped where it actually hurts worse to not be present with the parts of myself that need to be seen and heard and felt. And if right now that is depression and hopelessness and a dark, scary, empty void inside of me, well, I don't want to fill it. And I don't want to distract from it. And I don't want to numb it anymore. I've done that for a long time. And now I don't want to neglect ultimately myself, a part of myself. And so the way that that has shown up for me, again, over the last few days, weeks, is I will have these thoughts about, like the other day, it was actually really interesting. So first I was like, (laughs) I wanted to order... Um, so, okay, here's how I do it. Here's really how I do it. Okay. I wanted to order this like chicken sandwich that I got from this place, um, once. And I remember the first time I ate it, I was like, like part of me was like, oh my God, this is so good. And the other part of me was like, oh my God, this is like actually fucking disgusting. (laughs) Like It's like a, it's like a decadent sandwich. And so I'm lying on my couch the other day and I'm like, I want this fucking chicken sandwich. But or and I'm also really dedicated to you know not using food for emotional purposes at this right now right it's like you know every once in a while emotional eating is totally okay and I could totally choose to do that and I have permission and it's safe and I'm not judging myself and la 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 you know like emotional eating is a part of everything but I'm also choosing recovery like I'm choosing recovery so I'm aware that this is really what I want. And then I get myself to, the. this is how I met myself halfway. I ordered a chicken sandwich, but from a different place that is like whole and natural and like 
it's a healthier version of a chicken sandwich. So I'm like, I kind of met myself there. And then, <laughs> and then the next day, so I'm like, all right, like that was tasty. And I like enjoyed it. And that was that end scene. The next day, there's this voice in my head that's like, you didn't get the French fries yesterday. And in addition to the chicken sandwich, what we really wanted was the French fries. So like for hours and hours and hours, there's this part of my brain that's like French fries, French fries, French fries. Tonight we're getting French fries. And I'm like, you know, okay. Like I'm totally like, I start looking at different menus. I almost like ordered one thing from one place and French fries from another place. Like I was like, I'm all here for it. And then I realized like French fries, (laughs) though delicious and though completely allowed, um are not gonna help me feel better like they're just not and I can eat all the french fries I want but like I don't want them for the sake of french fries I want them because they're gonna help me feel better right now and I'm going fucking through it and so I just use the part of my brain that's like who is the person that I want to be right now and I'm not restricting french fries I'm not eliminating french fries and not because french fries are bad or they're gonna make me gain weight or any of that shit it's because I don't want to numb and distract and avoid from myself anymore. And I don't want to use French fries as a way to dissociate. And there's an awareness in me that that's what would be happening. And so I chose again to not get the French fries. (laughs) And guess what? Like I survived. And so the next day, yesterday actually, I'm thinking about, I don't know. I thought about going to Starbucks and, um, And then as soon, as soon as the thought enters my mind that I can have a spinach feta wrap from Starbucks, it's again, it's like I can, I can feel myself like sink my like teeth into it. There's this part of my brain that's like, that's it. (laughs) It wasn't the chicken sandwich. It wasn't the French fries. It's going to be a spinach feta wrap from Starbucks. Like, that's it. Get it, get it, get it, get it, get it, get it, get it. And I can just feel again, it's like this like clinging like attached like if I don't eat a fucking wrap from Starbucks today I'm gonna literally die and so I noticed that and I'm like again like okay you can go to Starbucks and get a spinach feta wrap if that's really what you want but I'm aware that again this is this is emotion talking this is trying to just have a semblance of like relief and again that's super valid and okay But I chose once again to just like not do the thing and like not feed the craving and be present with where I am, which by the way, totally, (laughs) I'll be honest with you though, part of what happened was I was at the mall and I passed a Starbucks and I was like, ooh, there it is. And then I saw <laughs> I saw the line of people and I was just like, what the actual fuck? Like, I was like, there's no way that I was just, again, no tolerance. I was like, I'm supposed to stand still on my way to a spinach fed ride? Absolutely not. I'll go somewhere where I can mobile order it. <laughs> so that's where I was at. And then again, came home, totally was like, you can go do that. But what I'm telling you is these voices, these thoughts, these urges cravings to fill the void with this like chicken sandwich and french fries and feta wrap and like whatever they've been so present with me lately in a way that they really haven't been in a long time and instead of here's the here's the point here's what matters about this is that instead of meeting that with fear or judgment or shame 
I've just been like, I see you. (laughs) And it's so valid that you want to use food to cope. It's so valid that you want to use french fries to just like feel better for a second. But again, I'm so aware that I want french fries the way that someone recovering from a nicotine addiction wants a cigarette. The way that someone in recovery from alcohol wants a drink. It's like, please just give me an exhale. Please just like save me from this pain and discomfort. And what I'm choosing to do is say, as you've heard me say before, we can't solve an emotional problem with a physical solution. And if you bury yourself in french fries, not only are you going to feel like shit physically, you're going to feel like shit emotionally and spiritually because you're using it to disconnect from the truth and the authenticity of the present moment that is just frankly uncomfortable. Like be with it. So that's that's part of what my experience has been like. And I just want to invite you again to, if this resonates with you, if it feels like it's similar in any way to your experience around anything, what I what I want you to know is that you deserve all the compassion in the world and all the love in the world. And it's okay for you to, to to practice this and so you can have everything right you can have all the cigarettes you can have all the alcohol you can have all the food you can you have all the permission to do whatever you want it's just we don't want to choose this anymore this is not the way that we want to show up anymore this isn't an alignment anymore this doesn't feel good anymore like whatever it is for you and again when it comes specifically to food it doesn't mean you're on a diet it doesn't mean that you hate yourself it doesn't mean that you're judging it's just like you can release that story if it's not serving you. And so that's invitation number one. The other thing I want to tell you about, though, on the other side of the spectrum, because I have both, is not just my uh, desire or craving to cope with food, um, but also that I find myself uh, being more, um, what's the word, mm, preoccupied with things like food and calories and my weight and my body so how that has shown up is I watch myself uh interestingly like you know something that I do fairly often is like I go to the gym and I um some of the time will like track my workout I would say most of the time I track my workouts on my apple watch I keep the screen in theater mode so I can't see it while it's happening but I am curious to know like how I how high my heart rate was or something like that but in an you know as part of that experience well it always tells me how many calories I burned and usually because again I'm thankful to be in this place of safety and non-attachment to things like that at this point in my life when I see that I've burned x amount of calories it's usually like okay cool like that's like it's very objective it's just objective information the way that again I've talked about it here calories are a measurement of energy so it's like all right cool like it's it it's informative you know sometimes if I burn more than I thought means I should eat more than I planned or something like that it's objective information that I can integrate into my day most of the time but recently um, I've watched myself be like how many calories am I burning and um should I burn more calories should I make it longer should I make it harder should I make it faster right all the voices that were very present I would say in like 2013 or so right so like 10 years ago um are now just making their way back to again try and help 
and protect me and keep me comfortable and keep me distracted because I think what happens for me anyway is that there's a part of my brain that's like so if you're not going to eat food to numb it out the way that I did for the you know from five to 18 well then at least let's use dieting and exercise and weight and body image concerns to distract you from it the way that I did from like 18 to like 20 21 22 ish um so I, you know, it, it kind of goes back and forth and, and there, it feels as though there's a part of me that's like, well, if you're not going to do that, let's do this. And, um, and so again, it's, it's using my awareness. This is why I'm always, always, always telling you guys <laughs> that awareness is step one, always. And you can't do anything about anything that you're not aware of. Like that is step one is being conscious of your own experience. And that means uh, being aware of your thoughts ultimately. So that's the huge skill here that I am again, really grateful to have, um, practiced for years. I have strengthened the muscle of observation and non-judgmental awareness of my, uh, inner world and inner dialogue enough that when these voices come up, I have the power I can't, right? It's about power. It's not about control. I can't control if or when or how these voices come up because they are a defense mechanism. They are a coping mechanism. They're trying to help me and keep me safe. But what I can do is practice embodying the power to say, I see you and I hear you and I'm choosing not to listen to you. I know that you're not the truth. I know you're a coping mechanism. And so yesterday, for example, um, I went to the gym and I, and st- okay, I need to like sidebar about fitness for a second. Whatever your relationship is with fitness and exercise and movement and whatever word you want to use for it, um, this will actually have to be its own episode, I think, because what I want to say is if you use it as an opportunity to embody your body and connect with your body and be in your body, um, it has been, I want to say, the single most healing thing that I have ever uh, engaged with in my life in terms of healing the nervous system and the mind-body connection. Because, like, for example, the last few days when I felt like when I felt the way that I felt yesterday where I literally wanted to punch every single person in the face, um, there were moments where... I literally like I just felt like I was crawling in my skin right again like I think if you're recovering from an addiction anyone you know what I'm talking about I was crawling in my skin and I wanted to literally rip my hair out one minute and then I was like bursting into tears the second minute and so that's kind of how I felt energetically and and so I went to the gym and the last few days I've just had these like miraculous workouts where it just helps me so much move that energy through my body out of my body and at the end of it it's not that the feelings of hopelessness and darkness and depression are gone they're not it just feels like I have the power and capacity to sit with them and be in my body a little bit more than I did before um so anyway I just it's so I part of the reason I say that is because on one hand, yes, there are these kind of habitual thoughts around like going to the gym for the purpose of my body and what it looks like and all of that stuff. But that's not what my workouts have actually been like. Like there's enough presence and connection to 
the safety in the present moment that my workouts have actually been very healthy in that way, really helping me just fucking come back to earth and like feel a sense of being grounded and safe. And so I, I, again, I thank God for that because, oh man, it's, it's just been really, 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 really helpful. So that is going to have to be its own episode because I'm being so bombarded with thoughts on things I want to say about that. But to get back to my point, (laughs) uh, I went to the gym yesterday and for example, um, I had this like number in my head of like how many calories I was going to work out until I burned. And so even, even the awareness that that thought was going through my head, it was like, whoa, it's been a very long time since I like worked out for the sake of burning calories. Like that's not something that we do here. That's not something that I align with anymore. That's not something that really serves and elevates my human experience. So like I don't do that. So it's like having this awareness allowed me to be like, I hear you. And again, if that's like, if that feels good, you know, in the moment, if I, if I'm in the middle of this workout, I want to keep going and going and going and hit that number, then like, okay. And also, um, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I'm not going to listen to this voice. Like, I'm not going to just do it because it's coming up and telling me to do it. This is, this is, or it would be falling back into old patterns that really are not healthy for me. So I'm not going to, and I didn't. And so it's, it's just this constant and ongoing. This is why to me, it's so similar to everything regarding chronic pain. This is chronic. Our relationship with food in our bodies is chronic. It's ongoing. So sometimes the same way that your pain will kind of alleviate and you'll go through maybe years where you don't have any chronic pain symptoms and then all of a sudden you do again, right? Like this is how our relationship with food, at least in my opinion, um, works. There is no like, it's over now. And, and you definitely, I don't think any of us want to get to a point where we think we're done, right? That's option three where nothing hurts that bad and you've totally solved the problem forever. Um, I don't think any of us ever want to actually believe that we get there because that's part of the illusion, right? That's part of the, that's part of the lie that is you're, you're going to get through life without the discomfort of it sometimes coming back up. Sometimes it's going to come back up because when your emotions are high and your stress is high, like mine are right now. Um, it's going to come back because it's trying to save you and serve you and protect you and keep you comfortable. And it is not, again, something we have control over, but I want to really just invite you to tap into your own power of who is the person that you want to be. And as I've said before, who is the person that you want to be? What would that person do? And how do you do that for yourself right now? And that is how I've been moving through the absolute, what I want to say is like the absolute torture of the last few weeks, days is that's how I'm showing up is I'm being the person that I want to be. Not because it feels comfortable, not because I like want to in the moment, right? What I want to do is eat all the French fries and then work out and burn all the calories. But the person that I want to be, the way that I want to show up for myself, the way I want to take care of myself is not with French fries and burning calories. Like I'm too aware of it at this point. And again, I think that's why it feels important that I share these things is like, we're not going to get out of it. You guys, I'm not out of it. 
I just have the power and the skills and the tools and the observation and the awareness and the non-judgmental, loving, compassionate, accepting energy to get through it as the person that I want to be in alignment with myself. And it's not fucking easy and it's not fucking comfortable and it's not any of those things. But you know what it is, is honest and true and authentic. And that's what I'm here for. I don't know about you guys, but that's what I'm here for. And now probably the last thing that I want to share with you for today (laughs) is um, another visual, another visual that I got. And this was not a shrooms visual. This was like a regular, regular day visual um, where some of you heard this first part at the retreat. And then, you know, what's so funny is like after the retreat was over, I was like, damn, I only shared the first part, but I didn't share the second part. Um, And that is so the first part is that recently, actually, really in regards to the recovery and relapse episodes, um, I had to make a decision. I had to make a decision that was really, 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 really the hardest thing I've ever done in my life, truly. And, um, and I made that decision. And I think I shared this before, but it reminded me a lot of something that Elizabeth Gilbert said, you know, where she long story short said, you know, it's not about saying no to the things that you don't want to do. It's really about saying no to the things that you do want to do. And it was one of those moments where I had to very consciously choose. This is something that I, I really want, but I need to say no to. And it was absolutely, um, it was, it was the hardest thing I've ever done. And so the reason that I say that is because the first part is I was grappling with this for a long time. I was going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Do I do it? Can I do it? Will I survive if I do it? And there was a moment, it was actually when I was in in Italy a few months ago, which, you know, if you listen to the pod, you've heard about that too. Um, I had this moment of just clarity, of, of uncomfortable clarity that I was going to do the thing and that I needed to do the thing, that doing the thing was honoring myself and... And I didn't feel like I was going to survive it, certainly, but I knew in my conscious brain that this was not going to actually literally kill me. And so there was this clarity of, I'm going to do the thing. And this is what's right for me. And when I made the decision to do the thing internally with myself, I mean, it was something that I felt like I couldn't avoid anymore. It was just, it just dropped in, my whole body knew it, and I couldn't fight it. And, and so part one is that one of the visuals I had was, um, I was, I went back to my room, my hotel room in Italy, and I was crying, like, in a way that I don't think I've ever cried, or maybe when my dad died, this was, like, similar, but I was, like, absolutely distraught, and I was wailing, and the visual that I was tolerating at that point was it felt to me like there were all these like little children like my inner children right it's not just your inner child there's all these different parts of you and me right so it felt like the only way I can describe it is that it felt like there were all these little children and they were like throwing things at me like not just like throwing like tomatoes at me like throwing like glass like they were just 
throwing things at me in like protest and it was like how how can you do this to us how can you do this how dare you do this you can't do this what are we supposed to do and just like violently fighting what I knew to be true that is I have to do the thing and it was so painful because the only way I can describe it in quote unquote like real life terms is like I would imagine I've never had actual kids but I would imagine it's kind of like when you decide that you're going to do something as the parent and then your kid says I hate you and goes to their room and slams the door and then you sit with that and like your heart feels broken because your kid just said I hate you to your face and you know that you're doing the right thing you know that you have to do this thing but oh man, like they're a kid, they're never going to understand or they're not, they're not going to understand right now. Maybe when they get older, they'll understand. But right, that was what it felt like to me. It was like, I know that I have to do this for myself. And I was just sitting and taking it from all these inner children in me that were basically like, I hate you. I hate you for doing this. I hate you for letting go of this. I hate you for making this decision. I hate you for choosing yourself. And it was really painful and also really powerful because I knew, I knew in that moment that these parts of me were gripping to old ways, old ways of safety, old ways of comfort, the old way of being fine and just pretending that everything was okay. Like these were the parts of me that were like, don't change things don't shake things up just like keep this going and at a certain point I just I couldn't anymore and so that was that's part one but then here's the really amazing thing and this is what I forgot to stay at the retreat <laughs> for whatever reason a little bit later definitely not that same day <laughs> um, because that that moment was all about the pain and the what I understand to be withdrawal um, and discomfort and fear and all of that and then at a later day this is what happened and this is the visual that honestly keeps getting me through what I'm going through right now is that I had this image of me I guess I'm like it's like faceless but I know it's me uh, or a part of me anyway and it's like I'm like hanging my head in my hands and I'm sitting at a bar which I feel indicates like this is like adult me. Like this is like a very like quote unquote adult thing, right? Like kids can't get into a bar. <laughs> kids don't sit at a bar. It's it's like adult version of me sitting there. I don't even know if there's a drink in my hand or anything, but I'm just I'm just sitting there with my head in my hands, like in a very almost like stereotypical like you know, I think in shows and movies, this happens all the time where like people get in a fight or something and one of them just like goes and sits at the bar and is like totally upset and all that. So that's like the energy of it is like I'm sitting at the bar and I'm just like, oh, like it's the part of me that knows I have to make this decision, made this decision. It almost feels like, um, you know, I just, my, my kid told me that they hate me and then I go to the bar and I'm just sitting there and I'm like just wallowing in it like just dwelling in the pain of like 
my children are never like my children don't understand why I'm doing this and I swear it's what's best for me and I swear it's what's best for us and I know that this is what needs to happen but there are parts of me that cannot understand why I'm choosing this and it's so hard that there are parts of me that are not on board with this but I need to do it anyway and then part two of this visual or part two is I'm sitting at the bar and all of a sudden another part of me comes in (laughs) and I just kind of like see myself looking into my eyes (laughs) and like putting my arm over myself and just sitting with I know I know they don't understand (laughs) and this is so hard this is so hard what you're doing and they don't get it and a lot of people don't get it and so many so many people are not going to understand it so many people in your internal family and your internal children (laughs) they're not going to get it and they don't see you and they don't understand but I do And it was like two versions of adult me (laughs) sitting at the bar together, looking into each other's eyes, just saying, I know, and it's okay. This is really uncomfortable, but it's not unsafe. This is not something you can't do. It's just something you don't want to do. And it's not something that's going to kill you. It's just something that's going to hurt you. And that visual... I mean, when I came out of that, I remember I said to Allison, actually, and this was not on shrooms, (laughs) this was a different time, but I said to Allison, I remember saying, I have never, I have never shown and extended such unconditional love to myself. (laughs) And it was an awareness that in the deepest pit of pain and fear was also the greatest amount of compassion and love and as I've been moving through the last few days and weeks it's almost like I've had that um it's it's in me already it's embodied already like I know that I can tap into that and so when I'm in these moments where you know the GPS takes me the wrong way and I can't find a parking spot and like everyone's annoying and this the music sounds like nails on a chalkboard and I'm getting texts from people I don't want to talk to and like all the little things and the food stuff comes up and the body image stuff comes up and all of it feels so present I'm not looking at any of it and judging it or resisting it or fighting it I just have that energy of like looking in my own eyes and putting my arm around myself and saying I know this is so uncomfortable and this is so hard and I'm here with you and I believe in you and I see you and you can do this like that's the thing you're doing it you're doing it you're choosing recovery you're choosing yourself you're choosing your truth and it's not comfortable and a lot of people don't understand but you are here and I am here with you and it honestly like it doesn't make all the pain go away but it feels like fucking 
beauty. <laughs> and that's what I want to share is in the depths of it, we can really access love and empathy and compassion if we're not, again, making it harder by judging and resisting what is. We just open ourselves up and stay open. We we heal. <laughs> we heal and we recover. And I'm right there with you. I'm right there with you. And so the last thing that I will say in this episode is... Uh, usually if I, when I share this at the end of my slides at a retreat, uh, it comes with a visual, a very, very powerful visual that I, well, whatever you can't see cause this is a podcast. <laughs> so, um, but I usually share this quote at the end with this visual and the quote that I want to leave you with is by jo- George Saunders and it is, don't be afraid to be confused try to remain permanently confused anything is possible stay open forever so open it hurts and then open up some more until the day you die world without end amen and the reason i share this with you is because over and over it just becomes clearer and clearer that life is a choice between what hurts and what hurts worse and one option is living with a closed heart. The other option is living with an open heart. (laughs) And both are going to hurt. But I hope that I can inspire you and me, all of us together, to just keep choosing an open heart. To stay open. Stay open to pain and fear and discomfort. Because when you move through that and you stay with that, you stay open to that, you find a lot of peace and power and freedom and love. And I think that that's what we're here to do. So that's all I got for today. (laughs) Thank you for listening. Thank you for being here. I really love you so much. And I'll see you next week. (laughs) 